Well, today we continue our way through 1 Corinthians 7. We'll finish 1 Corinthians 7 today. And as we mentioned in the word of exhortation, uh, Paul is in the middle of a very peculiar and particular chapter of the Bible. Um, it's, it, it, I say particular because he's dealing with a very specific issue here of marriage and singleness, one that you don't hear much uh, elsewhere in the Bible. But it's very important for us to remember that the uniqueness of 1 Corinthians in part comes from the fact that they have been in correspondence together, that the Corinthians and Paul have been writing back and forth. As we said, this is probably the second letter uh, from Paul to them. Um, and we know that he's responding to a letter uh, that he got from them and is hearing some concerns. And they are asking very practical questions about life in the kingdom. Um, and so in that way, it's it's so important for us to read, even if some of the concerns are not our concerns. Next week, we'll, we'll jump over to the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. I mean, it's just not a concern of ours. We're, we don't, we, we're not dealing with that problem. And yet, very relevant, as we'll talk about. We'll save that for next week. My, my point is this, that what we learn when we read texts like this is how Paul thinks. We, we learn the logic of the kingdom. This problem may not be our problem. This question may not be our question. But in watching how Paul addresses it, we learn how we address the problems that we face today. As Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. It, it's not as if Paul is living in some weird world and now we live in this world and Paul's words don't relate to us. There's nothing new under the sun. It's just that the parts have changed. The, the characters have changed. The technologies have changed. But the problems have not. And so in listening to how the apostle guides and governs, we learn how we should uh, uh, improvise is the word we've used before about how we improvise when we have to now face the problems of this age. Right? We, we can't go back and find all the answers in the Bible of how to deal with particular things in this age. Paul's just not going to address them particularly. But in seeing the pattern that Paul has established for what it looks like to live within the kingdom, we then can, we can properly improvise in our day and with our peculiar problems. So the issue, and the text has been read for us, it was our word of exhortation this morning. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 40, the end of the chapter. And Paul is continuing on this back and forth regarding marriage and singleness. In, in as much as he keeps referring to virgins, he's talking about unmarried women. And he's saying, how do we, how do we handle these things? And, and we looked at this a little bit last week. And so in some sense, there's nothing new here in, in this. He, he's just continuing a line of reasoning. And that is, stay as you are if you can. Don't, don't be bothered by it. If you're single, feel free to remain single. Are you married? Remain married. And, and by remain married, in many cases, he's talking about, well, you find yourself in, a, in an unbalanced situation where you're unequally yoked. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're married to a non-believer. You know, and now here you are a convert. Stay as you are. Stay as you are. Um, so he, he's, he's pressing that point here, and he, he continues the same, the same thing. Now, you see in verse 26, 
Uh, well, in verse 25, now concerning virgins or concerning unmarried women. So here you can tell he is, again, responding. He's kind of going down a checklist of this letter of things that people are saying, hey, how do we deal with this? And how do we deal with that? And what does it mean? Do you, is it true that we, a man can't touch a woman? Is it true that, that we should flee from marriage? Is it true that, you know, so he's kind of going down the list. And so now here he comes again to singleness and to the idea of single women and and maybe what should dads do in giving their daughters to be married, but also more likely he's speaking to them directly and to their betrothed, uh, to those who are courting them or to those who are about to marry them. Now remember that the Corinthians are a people who are being very affected by the idea that the body is bad and the things we do with the body are bad. And so some are saying, therefore, we shouldn't do anything with the body. We should really deprive the body. We should take an ascetic approach and put to death not only the deeds of the flesh, but actually the passions of the flesh, that we should try to pour cold water on them. We should try to, to uh, stifle them. Um, the body is bad. And Paul is, Paul is confronting that and challenging that and arguing this is not the case. But Paul begins uh, at, the, at the outset. Uh, that again, it's it's good at this point, you see in verse 26, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of this present distress. So something is going on in Corinth, and uh, commentators aren't sure what he means by that. They're not sure what the particular distress is that is happening, but something is going on in Corinth as well, some local problem, uh, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you uh, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, and I would spare you. So again, here we have, in some sense, very loose, uh, very loose authority being given. Paul's giving his wisdom. Hey, in this current moment, here's why I think this would be good. But again, you're not sinning if you do one or the other. And we're going to see this in the next chapter as well when Paul talks about meat sacrifice to idols. You know, the, the, there is not an answer of what you must do in every situation in life. There is freedom. There's freedom. And we're going to, we're going to uh, uh, learn about that in the next couple chapters. What, what we call Christian liberty. Like we have to be big boys and girls. And we have to make decisions in this scenario how can we glorify God? And, and in, in this particular scenario, there is not a quote-unquote right way or wrong way, sinful way and righteous way. Some things it's very obvious, okay? Mark Casada gets up and leaves his wallet there, and I would like to have what's in that wallet. Taking his wallet is wrong. If I have a decision to make, do I take his wallet or do I return his wallet? It's not a, hey, you know, there's not, I, Paul's not going to say, oh, I have no apostolic authority on this, I, I, but I suppose it would be better to give him his wallet back. No, he's going to speak very definitively. Thou shalt not steal. Right? There are things in the world where it is the right way and the wrong way. Right? Where, where glorifying God is very obvious. You can glorify God this way. You cannot glorify God that way. But that's not the majority of the decisions you make every day. You've kind of already filtered those out. You don't even, you see Mark's wallet there. You're not even contemplating that decision. You're immediately going to give it. It's just, you know, you know, can't do it. But 99.9% .9 of the decisions you make in life 
are of the sort that are this or that. And Paul would say, either way, you are not sinning, but you must seek how best to glorify God. And that's what he's doing here. So when you read this, it sounds very loose, but I think it's very important. It reminds us that this is the majority of life and we are to seek to glorify God in whatever state we find ourselves. And then, and then Paul continues down and I want to jump over because the heart of the text that I want to look at this morning and you see the title of my sermon is the form of this world. And I get this from the, the verse, uh, verses 29 through 31. And that's where I want us to hunker down. But in terms of the specifics, Paul goes on and now he speaks about what about what about the unmarried woman and what about those who are betrothed to be married and and should they now cut their wedding off? Apparently there are those in Corinth who are like, yeah, well, wait a second, they were going to be married, but they haven't done it yet. Should they just cut it off right now? So just looking at it from another stage in life. And Paul says, no, no, no. If 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 you desire to do that, that's fine. If you if you if these two people this man and woman decide that the best way that they want to live to glorify God is in singleness and they're not married yet go ahead cut it off stay as you are. But if that's not the case and you don't feel you can glorify God in your singleness because again as he he says earlier maybe you just have passions that you need to make sure are are satisfied within the bounds of marriage get married by all means. Get married marriage brings struggle marriage brings distraction from the serving god directly so i i I would urge you stay single but he said marriage is is also good so this is where paul has been and what he's doing but for our for our purposes this morning I want us to see all of this and all the conversation that we've had in chapter seven about marriage and about singleness as an episode, in a particularity that really allows Paul to say what he's going to say here in verses 29 and 31. And this is where I want us to hunker down and see. He says this, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice those who buy as though they did not possess, those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. Now, Mark Mark and I were discussing last week, uh, Mark Dobson and I were discussing last week the the word contentment as a a, maybe a theme for this chapter. And, And certainly that is there. I think it's a minor theme but it's there where Paul is not merely challenging us to be content with the situation we find ourselves, though he is. He's not merely doing that, but he is telling us to do that. Let us be content in the situation we find ourselves. Again, the Lord may providentially change that scenario tomorrow. But right now, he has you in a situation and we are to be content. As long as we know we can glorify God in that situation, We are to be content. If we know we are not glorifying God in that situation, then we need to rectify that. We need to see how we can glorify God. But if we are, certainly the text is calling us to be content. But I say it's not merely saying that because Paul is saying something stronger than that. It's not merely that he wants us to be content. He wants us to stop worrying and stop overvaluing things. I mean, we prayed in our prayer of confession today 
right? A tendency we have, and I'm, I, the reason we can put this in our bulletin is because I'm convinced we all have it, okay? We confess, we said, that our minds are too often consumed by worldly things. Our hearts are too often filled with worldly anxieties, and our lives are too often governed by worldly ambitions. I think we can all pray that. I feel very confident having that in the bulletin because we all fall prey to that, right? Again, I, I, I've told the story many times to my students back at school, the, 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 the one Sunday, I'm sure I said it multiple Sundays, where in preaching, I referenced us going back out into the real world, you know? And had to like repent right in the middle of my sermon for saying such a thing. As if that out there is the real world. Even that thought that somehow we're not in the real world now. Like we come into church as a respite from the real world shows how upside down and backwards we get everything. For Paul, this is the real world. And when we leave and cross the threshold and go back out into that world, we go back into the world of the shadows. We go back to the vapor. But here, here, we are in solid, a solid world. Here we deal with lasting things. Right here we cling to that which is true. Out there we have to deal with vaporous things things that are fleeting, but we tend to get everything upside down. We tend to think that when we come in here, we're dealing with quote-unquote spiritual things, which seem vaporous to us. They seem abstract to us. We talk about heaven. We talk about God. We talk about hopes that are out there somewhere that I can't quite grasp. But then when the service is over, I got to go back to the real world. I got to go back to my job. I got to go put food on the table. I got to put gas in my car. I got to figure out how to put heating oil in my oil tank this year. That, those are real solid physical problems, tangible problems. In here, we deal with sort of lofty spiritual ideas. That's how we tend to think. That's why we need to confess what we confessed in our confession today. That we are consumed by worldly things. Our minds are. We tend to think of them as the real things. Even though if I gave you a quiz today, none of you would say that. I wouldn't say that. But you can't look at your quiz because you're all good test takers. You know how to pass quizzes. You know what the teacher's looking for, see? And that's why you would all do well. That's why the crafty teacher... Can't give you a quiz that's that simple. You can't look at your quiz. You've got to look at your lives. Let your lives, let your, let your uh, priorities tell you where your heart and minds are. Our minds are too often consumed by worldly things. And our hearts are too often filled with worldly anxieties. What bothers you? What are you stressed about today? I'm stressed about filling my oil tank. You know, the oil prices, it's like, it's like you know, 450 to put oil in the tank. How are we going to do it? <laughs> you know, how are we going to do it all winter? It's a problem. Yeah, but it's not the big problem. But our hearts are all wrapped up in that. It's hard for us to focus. It's hard for us to untangle that. And we're our um uh our lives are too often governed by worldly ambitions. 
We're grasping. We're pursuing. What are we pursuing? What's important to us today? What do we want today? What are we after? What are our aims and our goals? Okay, well, it's to this that Paul addresses the Corinthian church. And sure, he's talking about marriage and singleness, but it's here that you hear Paul saying weird things like, I, I, I don't have anything from the Lord on this, but I suppose you should do this. And, I, you know, rarely do you hear Paul talk like that. But he's looking for things he can pull from the ministry of Jesus, and he's speaking on his apostolic authority, and sometimes he's going, I, I'm just, I suppose you could do this. Because what Paul's getting after is not mere contentment, but a reordering of your worldview a reordering of the world in which you live and move and have your being. So what does he say? Okay, sure, he, he does not blow off their questions and say, these are stupid questions. He spends a lot of, he puts a lot of ink into these things, helping them think through it to ease their consciences. Don't worry, you're okay. It's okay to be single. Glorify God there. It's okay to be married. Glorify God there. But this I say, brethren, now, this is when he's been saying, I suppose you could do this, and I don't have anything from the Lord here, but, you know, here's a thought. But this I do say, brethren, the time is short. What matters to you if the time is short? If the Titanic is going down, okay, polishing the brass is always a good thing, okay? We want nice, shiny brass, but the time is short. There may be other priorities now, okay? Fixing the dinner plates on the table is a good thing to do, a noble thing to do, but time is short. This ship is going down, so we need to reprioritize at this point. And Paul is giving not a, such a negative thing as that as a ship going down, but nonetheless, time is short. James says... You know, oh, you have all these big plans in life. You're going to, you know, in that text that we read in our New Testament reading today. Oh, you're a fancy businessman. You know, I, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rent out my property here. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to buy and sell a while. I'm going to make some money. I'm going to come back. I'm going to have made money on this rent. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And he says, you know what you might better say is, if God wills, I'm going to do this. If, if God wills, I'm, I'll do that. And what he says to him, don't you realize, mister? That your life is a vapor. The time is short. Like, it only lasts. It's a wisp. I know we could all do it. I'll say I'm 52, and, and some of you will be like, oh, I remember when I was 52. Yeah, but I, 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 tell, my, I tell my high school kids, I remember when I was 18. You remember when you're 18. Now, you could tell kids this. They don't believe you. And, you know, I was always 52 in their minds. But, but I'm like, it was, I hate to break it to you, it was just yesterday. And to your parents, it was just yesterday that you were in kindergarten. And I'm telling you this right now, it will be just tomorrow that you'll be telling somebody you're 52 and it was just yesterday that you were 18. This is how it goes. We all feel this in here. Life is a vapor. Time is short. Okay, I know the marriage thing matters. Okay, I know singleness matters, but I'm telling you, life's a vapor. Be careful how much you stress about it. The time is short. And he, he begins it with that. The time, and I'm going to get to the meat of it in the middle. But he begins with the time is short. And then he ends with it. 
for the form of this world is passing away. And then in verse 30, but I want you to be without cares. That's, that, it's not mere contentment he wants. He wants you to be without care. It doesn't mean these things are unimportant. They are important. As we've talked about, the, the funny thing, the, the irony of the kingdom is that everything matters and yet in another sense, nothing matters. Like we put way too much weight into these things and it's fleeting, it's a vapor, it's all passing away. And yet everything matters because Christ has redeemed it. And therefore, whether you eat or drink, whether you're married or single, whether you sleep or rise, whether you're employed or unemployed, do all to the glory of God. It all matters, and yet it's all passing away. Be careful how much stock you put in it. I love that phrase, the form of this world is passing away. And, that, and that's what Solomon is getting at in Ecclesiastes. Like the wisdom he wants to pass on is, look, I've done my homework here. I searched high and low. And you know what? It all passes away. And trying to gain something in this world is like trying to clutch the wind and saying, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shepherd the wind. I'm what I want to do in my life is I want to collect the wind for myself. You're an idiot. Okay, you're an idiot. That's what Solomon's saying. It's as idiotic as that, saying somehow I think I can shepherd the wind and herd the wind and collect it. And no, the wind, the wind goes here. It's like it's like saying you're gonna shepherd the sun. The sun comes up, it goes down. It comes up, it goes down. And you know what? We're here and we're gone. And the sun comes up and goes down. It comes up and goes down. And he says, I looked and I realized it's all vanity. It's all vapor. Now, Ecclesiastes can seem very negative. It's not. It's very liberating. It's very liberating. And there are moments if we spend time, I, I encourage you to go listen to Kevin Sherrod's sermons on it. He, had, he did a series down when he was in uh, Tennessee, and I remember listening to it, and it was just wonderful. I had him do it for our study center as well. But his sermon series is better. But you... He, as he points out in the book, there's very encouraging things in the book. Like Solomon does deal, it seems very depressing. Oh, we all die. <laughs> you know, it's all going to fade into nothing. It's all useless and meaningless. And then all of a sudden, it, he just creates that kind of darkness so that the light can just beam through. And he's like, so live. Live without the anxieties then. As if somehow you're, you're like Atlas holding the world up. You're not holding anything up. So live, live now freely to the glory of God, recognizing it's just a vapor. We, we put too much stock in the things of this world. We let them bother us infinitely more than they ought to bother us. The form of this world is fading away. It's like a flower. You know, the scriptures tells man is like a flower. He flourishes for a moment. The sun comes out, he dies. Solomon and James say it's like smoke. You breathe it out on a nice, chill, chilly, cold morning like ours today, and you see it, it goes out and it vanishes. And, and James says, yeah, that's what your life is like. I say this, brethren, the time is short. So that from now on, so here's a way to think. Even those who have wives 
should be as though they had none. Now, he does not mean that I am to return to living like a single man. But Paul is telling us to reorient ourselves. Be careful, Bill, how much stock you put in your marriage. Your marriage is important. I'm called to glorify God as a husband. I'm called to glorify God as a dad. And yet, Paul is saying, once you recognize the vaporous, <laughs> the vaporous reality of life, in some sense, you need to live as though you don't have that baggage of all these worldly cares tugging you. It doesn't mean I don't have to care for Christina or love Christina or love my kids and make sure that they do have food. Of course I do. That's not what he's saying. But there's a liberation from, from, the, from knowing that indeed even this state of affairs is fleeting. Are you in a bad marriage? It's fleeting. It's fleeting. Are you in a great marriage? Careful you don't make an idol. It's fleeting. Don't cling to it. It goes away. Right? I mean, this is what he's saying. And therefore, it relativizes things. It, really, it, tells, the, it tells the person who's just in that heavenly marriage, they're just so in love with their spouse that we've got to be careful. You, you've, got to be, you've got to live now as if you were not married. Um, again, that's all in quotes. You got to live in your marriage as if your treasure is truly in heaven. You got to live now in your marriage as if your true love is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what you have to do. Good marriage or bad marriage, it puts us in that state of affairs. So, so here's what you need to do. From now on, those who have wives or husbands, of course, should live as though they had none. Please don't let, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. Right, don't overread that. This is where you could see somebody getting silly with the scriptures, but we hear what Paul is saying. Right? It, 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 well, let's read the others. The others help us here, right? Those who weep as though they did not weep. Again, think about, think about the things that grieve us. They're real things. Just like, again, the Bible never says don't weep. Paul himself will say to the, uh, uh, to the Thessalonians, right, in Christ, we grieve. We just don't grieve like those who have no hope. So Paul is not saying here, if you're weeping, you're living inconsistently with the Christian life. He's not saying that. But what he is challenging us to think about is, in your weeping, reflect on the nature of things. Right? We just grieve the loss of Grace Friedenwalds. And yet... We know together as a church, even in our grief, and it's genuine grief. We, we lost a sister. We lost a mother in the faith. We lost a friend. And yet, we grieve not like those who have no hope. We, we, we weep, but we, we, we live as if we're not weeping because we know that our sister, Grace, is with the Lord, and we know that we will be reunited with her. That doesn't mean we don't cry. It does, doesn't mean we don't feel the pain, but it relativizes the pain. This is the joy of being a Christian. It relativizes our marriages and our relationships. It relativizes our pain and our suffering because we know that Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. That just like relativizes everything. Blessed are those who mourn. Yes. We who mourn in Christ will be blessed our mourning and our grief, believe it or not, are working for us in eternal weight of glory. They're working for us. They're actually increasing 
the weight of the joy. The grief and the weeping that we have now is actually increasing the weight of the glory, if you can imagine that. It's working for you. It's, it, is, it is preparing you and setting you up for a, a joy and a celebration that we can't even imagine. So those who weep live as, as if they do not weep. And the other way around, those who rejoice as if they do not rejoice. Careful what you get so excited about. <laughs> right? Think about all the things we get excited about. I, I get like this when you get, you know, you get a good diagnosis. You know, and you feel that relief. It's like this, this is just this endorphins of, of relief pumping. And then, and then, okay, I'm, I admit, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not normal, you know, but, but you realize one day I'm not going to get the good diet. You know, it's like, and that's kind of a downer and that kind of kills the, uh, the endorphins. They go away pretty quickly at that point. But think about, think about the excitement. He's careful what you rejoice over. Rejoice as if you do not rejoice. Even the things you rejoice over, the things that you celebrate, they're fleeting. They're fleeting. So you who rejoice live as if you do not rejoice. And again, Paul calls us to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, right? So it's not that he's commanding us not to rejoice, but he is relativizing our celebrations. He's relativizing our grief. Hey, if your rejoicing is over the glory of God, then my goodness gracious, let it never cease. But when your rejoicing is over the fact that the gas prices came down, when you when you when your celebration is over the fact that the Dodgers won the NL West, now that that's that gets close, okay? But but the you know, if if your team wins the World Series, yes, yeah, celebrate, okay? But but in all these things, the good news, you know, you get the promotion at work, you know, whatever the thing is, be careful. Be careful. And then find, and then in the last pair here, so those who rejoice as if they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess. Like here, how do we view our how do we view our possessions? And then again, this gets to how I view, not that Christina's a possession of mine, but you know what? I mean, she's my wife. I'm her husband. Okay. So whether it's again the relation, my children, my house, my car my money. It's vaporous and therefore be careful that you view it, that you don't view it as yours. It's loaned to you in that sense. The time is short. The form of this world is fading. So even the things you have, hold loosely to them. For they're not yours. So those who buy as if they did not possess. Now in another sense, of course we possess. Of course it's my car. Of course, they're my kids. But I need to love them as if they are the Lord's, not mine. And that will change things because I will then be a steward of my children, not the owner of my children. I will, I will, I will be careful that all my hopes are not poured into them and end up breaking them because I'm, I'm pouring all my hopes into because they're my kids. And then I get overwhelmed with fear over what might happen to them. But, but, but what if they're not mine? And, and the one whose they are loves them more than I love them and is caring for them more and better than I can care for them. It relativizes things. You have children as if you have no children. Right? You buy stuff. 
Think of how much energy we put into protecting the things that we buy or caring for the things that we buy or replacing the things that we buy, fixing the things that we buy. Those who buy as if they did not possess, as if we were, it's not ours and therefore I can be generous with it, I can give it away, I can share it, I'll use it to the glory of God. And those who use this world as not misusing it. Again, it's not my resource. You know, it's something I'm called to steward and to use for the glory of God. So Paul brings us home through all that to say the form of this world is passing away, but I want you to be without care. That's not an absolute statement. It's a contextual statement. Of course we need to care. We care about everything because in everything, my parenting, my possession of my car, my thing, the things I, I'm nervous about, the things I love, all these things I have to use for the glory of God. I have to honor God in all these things. So of course we care about everything. And yet Paul says, I want you not to care, meaning I want you not to throw all this investment of your worry into. If the Lord has it for you to be married, get married. If the Lord has it for you to be single, remain single. If the Lord has it for you to have a bunch of children, have children. If the Lord has it for you not to have children, don't have children and don't care in the sense that you are not broken by it or overwhelmed in idolatry because of it. Recognize that the days are short and that time is fleeting and that the form of this world is passing away. So what ought we to do? We ought to take Paul's words in Colossians 3 to heart when he says, set your minds on things above. Right? Set your mind and your heart and your ambitions on the heavenly, solid, real, lasting things. This is why Jesus says, that's where you want your treasure. Down here, Moth and rust and bad economies and bad leadership and tragedies and biology and everything else destroys it. Don't, don't put your cares there. Put your cares, your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor this president, nor that president, nor this economy, nor Vladimir Putin, nor this or that, or this legal policy, or that thing, or this biological thing, or that car accident, or this diagnosis. Nothing can touch it there. Nothing can touch it there. So set your mind there. And then enjoy the vapor. Right? Then enjoy the vapor. Like, live. Live in marriage and singleness, family, economy, promotion, demotion. Live because you're anchored there. So may that be our takeaway from a passage that, again, all right, Paul, we're, we're, we got what you're saying about, mar about marriage and singleness. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But let that, be, let that be the instance that brings us back to what I think is at the root of what Paul is saying in this text about setting our perspective right and making sure our cares and worries are right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ we have every spiritual blessing.
We thank you that in Christ we are seated and we are unmovable at your right hand. Father, anchor our cares, our ambitions, our minds, hearts, wills there so that then we might return to the vaporous world outside these doors and go back to work and fill our oil tanks and put food on the table and engage in relationships and buy and sell and do all these things, weep and rejoice, but do it all in proper perspective, realizing that the days are short, it will only be a moment and we will be with you. And that this life is a vapor and that these things are fleeting and passing away. So guard us from caring so much about them. Father, may we truly honor and glorify you in all things. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.